Well, thank you so much for joining us for part two of our series, Filters. And so a filter is something that protects the most important part of a system. And so this is an extra filter that we have in our house. And this is for our HVAC system. And what it does is it helps prevent dust and particles from getting into the interior coil, which is the coil that heat, uh, cools down our home. So this filter is really important. Well, the same thing when it comes to faith. When it comes to faith, we need God's word to be a filter for us, that it prevents things from damaging us. And so it's important that over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at filters that we need to apply each day of our lives. So last week, we looked at the filter of identity, that understanding how Jesus sees us is so important because it allows us to live with our identity of Christ as a husband, as a daughter, as a son, as a coach, as a teacher, as an employer, as a CEO. It, the hub of who we are, the central of who we are, is who we are in Christ. And so today we're going to be looking at another filter, and this filter is going to be the filter of salvation. So one of the things that our culture values is exclusivity our culture values exclusivity we all enjoy being exclusive and enjoying exclusivity so so i thought about a few things based on conversations i've had with people over the last several weeks and here are some of the things that people have told me that they enjoy a golf membership because that golf membership allows for unlimited golf availability so that means they can come in any time to get a tea time because they have a membership uh, one of the students that <laughs> that uh, has worked for us for our summer camp, he bought a pair of, I guess it was a limited edition pair of Nikes. They only made like 300 of them, and he got a pair, and it had what number he was. So he was exclusive. He was wearing an exclusive pair of Nikes. Maybe you're the first of 1,000 to get a free T-shirt at a Nats game. Gold pass at King's Dominion. Or maybe you were able to get backstage passes to meet your favorite athlete, team, or band. Uh, Real Madrid, or I'm sorry, Manchester United has exclusive rights to Ronaldo, one of the best soccer players in the world. They have exclusive rights to him. And then dating and marriage, we want to go in a relationship knowing, hey, this is exclusive, right? We don't want to share our, our spouse with someone else or the person that we're dating with someone. No, we like it to be excuse, exclusive. Our culture values exclusivity. We all enjoy exclusivity until we are excluded. And when we're excluded, what do we usually say? It's not fair. It's not fair that they're in and I'm out. But when it comes to religion, it seems that culture goes all in on inclusivity. For some reason, we can be exclusive in everything, in most areas of our life, in our culture. But for some reason, when it comes to religion, they don't want exclusivity. They want inclusivity. And so here are some, some people who influence American culture. This is what they've said about religion being inclusive. Oprah Winfrey, she said, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe that there's only one way. Well, I'm a Christian who believes that there are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. 
Brad Pitt said, many people find religion to be very inspiring. Myself, I find it very stifling. I grew up with Christianity, and I remember questioning it greatly. I grew up being told God is going to take care of everything, and it doesn't always work out that way. And then you're told, well, it's God's will. George Clooney, he said, whatever anybody believes, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, it's fair enough and works, and I think is real, and that matters. Anne Hathaway, she said, the whole family converted to be Episcopals after my elder brother came out. Why should I support an organization that has a limited view of my beloved brother? Did you know that 66% of American Christians would agree with those quotes? Two out of three would agree that religion is inclusive, which means that there is more than just one way that leads to heaven. There's more than one way that leads to eternal life. There's more than one way that leads to God. So here's the tension. The argument that religion has to be inclusive, I would argue, is illogical. It is very illogical. No one is asking or answering these two questions. One, who is God? Who's God? Each religion has their God or gods. So which one's right? You have some religions that have many gods, and we would call that polytheism. Poly mean many, theism meaning God or a deity. And then you have monotheistic, which is a religion that believes in one God. So who's right? And then the second question is, what does one make peace with? How, how, do, I, how do I make peace with that God? How, how do you make peace with that God? See, each religion has a code on how to make peace with God. So which one's right? Which religion is right? Some religions are pretty clear on what you need to do. Others, it seems really muddy. It's like, ah, they seem very unclear of what someone needs to do to make peace with God. So why in our culture do we have exclusivity for almost everything but religion? It, like if religion is that important, wouldn't 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 we want up? We would want to be. Let me get that. We would want to be clear with how God is and how one makes peace with God. Like we want to know that if if that's that important, we ought to know how do we make peace with God. So although Jew doesn't address it because something else came up. He really wanted to write about salvation. Like Jude, we live in a culture that says there are many ways to get to God. And this is what he writes. This is Jude 3. He says, Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else. Urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. We really don't know what Jude was going to say. We really don't. He never wrote it in the letter. But we do know what his half-brother Jesus, who was the Messiah, had to say about salvation. And this is what Jesus said in John fourteen six. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one means no one. The, the only way that we can make peace with God is through Jesus. 
Like many people claim that Jesus' statement is arrogant, and it would be if it was true. The criticism that Jesus and Christianity faces is that we are too exclusive. And, and critics believe that is a bad thing because then, then it's like, okay, well, there are good people in the world. You're saying that good people don't have a chance at peace with God if it's not through Jesus? Because in Jude's time, just like it is in our time, people would push exclusivity when they felt, they would push aside exclusivity when they felt excluded. Most religions believe that good people went to heaven. And so when Jesus says that he is the only way to God, it didn't sit well with people, nor does it continue to sit well with people. So is this a true statement? Good people go to heaven. Is that a true statement? And, and I believe there are two problems that this statement doesn't clarify. Number one, what is good? All religions would, would, would answer this differently. There, there are no clear answers. There's no clear consensus on what the answer to that question is. Because then you, you have some religions that would say, well, being good is being enlightened. Uh, other people say, well, being good is blowing yourself up and killing people. So there's no clear consensus on what is good. The standard by which God judges changes in each religion. So then it leads us to the second question. Okay, so the first question is what is good? The second is how good do you have to be? Like once we define good, then we have the answer. Okay, then how good do I have to be? How good is good enough? Look, if we can't define the first question. If we can't answer the first question of, of what good means, then we definitely can't answer this question. For, for many people, it's like, okay, is it like a balance scale? If I have one more good work, it will outweigh all the bad things that I've done. That means that I'm going to go to heaven. Problem is, is no religion answers this question. And then Jesus comes along and he defines what is good and what is not good. He defines and he sets the stage of what we needed to know on how we make peace with God. Think about this. How, how many of us would judge someone or punish someone on a standard that we didn't make clear? Say you're a parent and you tell your kids to do something, but you didn't give them complete instruction. And so you have an expectation of how it should go, but because you never instructed them how to do it properly, they didn't do it. Is it right for you to punish them? No. So we, we have, um, uh, I, I was coaching this, this past week and coaching the offense and uh, we were up 20 to nothing and we don't want to, it's not good sportsmanship to run up the score on teams. And so we had our B team go in for our A team. And one boy, uh, Ty, he was going to be a running back. And then I was supposed to pull Tyrone off. And I never communicated to both of them what we were supposed to do. Both of them are good kids. Just never clarified to them what they both needed to do. So I had to call a timeout. I'm yelling for Ty to come off. He comes off and it's like, all right, well, we already broke the huddle with 12 men. So we called a timeout. Like it's a penalty. So we call a timeout kind of got everyone together and I apologized and said, Tyrone, I am so sorry. I had never communicated to you that you were supposed to come off and Ty was supposed to go in for you. That was my fault. I blew it. It would be wrong for me to punish them for something that I did not clearly communicate. Thankfully, Jesus 
clarifies what the standard is, and then he also says no one actually meets that standard. So let's jump in. This is Mark 10, and this is what happens. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So kneeling down in front of Jesus was a really big deal. It was a big show of respect. Wealthy people just didn't do that for anybody. This man we're going to find is wealthy. So it's interesting that the man addresses Jesus as good. And it's like, okay, well, how do you know that he's good? How do you know that Jesus is good? What makes him good? And so Jesus asks, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. So Jesus is curious, okay, why did I get addressed this way? But that notice, he never denies not being good and not being God. He never denies that. Jews believe people were good because they were created in God's image. God, by definition, is purely good. So Jesus says, okay, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, and honor your mother and father. So Jesus lists out some of the commandments, some of the Ten Commandments. Do you notice what all of them have in common? They're all about relationships. They're all relational commandments. They're easily measurable. So think about it. Maybe he's thinking, okay, I must not murder, check. Must not commit adultery, check. Must not steal, check. Must not testify falsely, check. Must not cheat, check. Honor your mom and dad, check. And so he says, Jesus, I've done all of those. And in fact, I've obeyed those since I was a kid. So Jesus tells him, well, I want you to sell everything that you own. Sell everything. Give that money to the poor and then follow me. So the man walked away sad because he wasn't willing to give up his wealth. The disciples are watching this unfold, and they said, then who in the world can be saved? They, they're, they're, they cannot believe what they're watching. Wealth was seen as God being, God seeing someone favorably. So if you had wealth, that meant that God had favor on, your, on, on you and your life. And so they're thinking, okay, God has favor on this guy, This guy obeyed the commandments and he's not getting eternal life? Like, this makes no sense. Because some of them are thinking, well, we sold our business to follow you. Like, we gave up everything to follow you and and, and is that going to be good enough to get eternal life? Jesus looked at him intently and he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible Jesus is pretty clear that salvation is impossible. No one is good enough. No one is, can do enough. No one can love enough. No one can serve enough. Salvation is impossible. And this comes across as unfair. Like, like what if I've been dealt a bad hand? What if, what, if, um, what if I experienced tragedy because someone else's recklessness? That's unfair. And Jesus said in another conversation that good people don't go to heaven. He says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness or your right way of living is better than the righteousness, the right living of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, 
you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like, okay, the best of the best. No one's ever going to be better than them. So, so, so this seems so hopeless. And then Jesus provides hope and he says this, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Salvation is only possible with God. Only God can save people. And y'all, this seems so unfair. But I believe that you know this to be true. Unfair doesn't equal untrue. Unfair doesn't equal untrue. Have you ever been uh, driving down the highway and you're in a line of cars and you all, everyone is breaking the law by going fast and then you're the one that gets pulled over? Is that, un, is that unfair? Yeah. But is it true that you are speeding? Yeah. What if you interview for a job, you and four other people, and someone else gets the job, you're all equally qualified Is that unfair? Yeah. But is it true? Yeah. Guys, we don't care about fairness when we are receiving something. When when you and I are on the receiving end, we really don't care about fairness. We don't care about fairness until we are offended, when we are excluded. How many times have you been in the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A? Maybe this is, hasn't happened to you, but this has happened to us quite a bit. Um, you're in the drive-thru, you order your food, you go up, and then like, they have a milkshake there that they forgot to give somebody. And they give you the milk, they, they, first they offer, hey, would you like the milkshake? And of course, most people are like, yes, especially cookies and cream. Yes, bring it, bring it here. Do you complain about that? <laughs> no. No. How many of us complain when Chick-fil-A gets our order wrong? Oh, how dare them? Right? Who put pickles on their sandwich? Like, How many of us complain when the doctor's report comes in clear? How many of us complain when the report comes in that there's a problem? See, unlike all religions, the gospel is what God did for us because we couldn't do it. God did for us what we could not do for us. God exchanged our punishment with mercy. It's unfair that Jesus, who was perfect, who was sinless and was innocent, was made sin for us, was made guilty for us, was made to be our punishment. That's unfair because the worst thing imaginable happened to the best person. It's unfair that Jesus took our place and received our punishment. Guys, it's not about being good. It's not about being fair. It's about being forgiven. Our sin separates us from God. The only qualification that we have is that we have to admit that we are a sinner and Jesus came to take our place. So he died in our place and then he rose from the dead to defeat the power of sin, of death and hell over us. Guys, I want you to know that Jesus does not ask for applications. Jesus only offers invitations. He's only offering you, he's inviting you into a relationship with God the Father through 
is just as what Paul wrote. Paul wrote this. He said, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Guys, salvation only comes to those who are willing to let go of what they are holding on to to get peace with God. There's a story of hunters in Africa. Kind of back in the day, these monkeys were just, they were just nuisance. I mean, they were just, things were not going well. So these hunters came up with a plan to trap these monkeys. And so what they would do is they would get these jars and they would fill these jars up with food, most likely peanuts or bananas. So the monkey would see the jar, they would see the food in the jar, and what they would do is they would put their hand in the jar because the opening was just big enough to fit their hand in. And they would grab they would grab the banana, they would grab the peanuts, and what would happen is they would make a fist, and this fist was bigger than the opening, which meant that they could not get out. They were trapped. And the only way that they could get untrapped or they could be set free was to let go of the food despite possessing the means to escape, to be set free, they often were captured because they were not willing to let go. Guys, there are some of us who are holding on to our belief system that we're going to be good enough one day, that we're going to be good enough to get into heaven. We're holding on to a belief system that if we do just enough works, we're going to get into heaven. The problem with that is it goes against what Jesus taught. It goes against what Jesus said. The only way that you and I will be set free, the only way that you and I will experience peace with God is to let go of our way of thinking and accept what Jesus has done for us to make us right with God, and that is how you and I are set free. For the others of us, we are followers of Jesus. But we are holding on to things that, are, that is causing us not to live a full life. See, Jesus tells us that I have, I'm here to give you a full, abundant life. All we have to do is follow Jesus. All we have to do is make him the leader of our lives. But instead, for some of us, man, we are holding on to things. We're holding on to a job. We're holding on to a relationship that's unhealthy. We're holding on to money. We're holding on to a future. We're holding on to expectations that we believe are, is going to make our life better. And so we're holding on, and yet we're miserable. We're not at peace. And we're holding on to these things, and we don't feel like we are free. And the only way that you and I can be free is to let go of the things that have overpromised and underdelivered. And when we let go of those things and we make Jesus the leader of our life, we are set free. For those who are just fighting and you believe this whole thing is unfair, you believe that Jesus is too exclusive. I hope that you reconsider 
because Jesus is the only faith leader, to be clear. Well, first of all, he's the only one that was God in the flesh. He was the only one that made this crystal clear. He said, if you want to get to God, you go through me. And so I hope, I hope that you will accept what Jesus has done in your place, that he died for you and then he rose again to defeat the power of sin, death, and hell over you. For those who are followers of Jesus, and yet you're holding on to some things that, man, you believe that these things are going to make your life better. But yet you've found over time that these things have overpromised and underdelivered. Why don't you let go? Why don't you let go and make Jesus the leader of your life? Heavenly Father, we come before you at a time like this, and we need you. Father, I pray for those who are holding on to the fact that, that Christianity should be inclusive. We ask that you set them free from that thinking. Because you went to great lengths to save us. Father, for those who are followers of Jesus and they're holding on to something that is making their life miserable, I just ask that you will allow them to let it go and make Jesus the leader of their life. I believe there are some good things that they're holding on to. But when those good things are in place of the best thing, it really is a bad thing. And I pray that you will allow them to let go you just that they would just take your invitation of letting go and Jesus is the leader of their life. God, thank you for allowing us to see that we need to see life through the filter of salvation that is only through you. In Jesus' name, amen.